Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. My man Patrick plays jams. Hopefully that can soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who had a really tough weekend. My man Harsh just got done talking about Texas baseball and Harsh Knock Life. That was a tough weekend for Texas baseball. And um, good song for Texas baseball fans. You guys can uh, lean on each other. <laughs> Y'all need a little support. That's all right. It's perfect. Uh, still really, really early in the season. Uh, so we'll get to Texas baseball starting 0-3. Uh, two tight games uh, over the weekend to start off uh, their season. Um, two start, two close losses, I should say, to start off their season. One run losses, but then uh, the Vanderbilt uh, game was uh, probably the most disappointing game Texas baseball fans have had in a while. When was the last time you had a game that was that lopsided for Texas baseball. It's been a while. It's been I mean, a while. Right? We've had, we've had. I mean, we've you had, had some, some discipline, but yeah. that, that was a pretty lopsided yeah. loss. I mean, it was from the jump. Yeah, and I mean, it was from the get go. A lopsided, was it unearned eight un eight eight unearned runs to start out in first two innings. Yeah, in the second inning, it happened in the, in sec- the second. It happened in the second. Inning. Yeah, it happened in the second. That's when the floodgates opened up, and it just kept ranging on them. And it, I had to. <laughs> I keep scoring my book, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Got to keep the book, man. And I'm changing the numbers at the top because they're batting around. they batting around in the innings. Mm. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what is really happening here? Yeah, yeah. It seems like it, that was um, – yeah, it's when a damn broke. I'm with you uh, yeah. for, for Texas. Uh, so a 12-2 loss to uh, Vanderbilt to – in their uh, weekend uh, series um, in there in Arlington. And you were there because yep, you I called all the games for a flow baseball. So yep. uh, shout out to flow baseball. And I even some people told me you did a great job. I Thank didn't you. check out the games, but I'm sure you did a great job. Um, but give me your thoughts. We'll talk Texas uh, basketball here. Obviously, they had a big win over Oklahoma this past weekend. So we'll dive deep into that. I'll talk Texas football in Raj Ranch today since we got spring coming up. I'm start getting you guys uh, – well, you know, just start getting you ready, just slowly but surely. Um, start getting you ready for some Texas spring football. But let's talk Texas baseball now, Harge. And mm-hmm. Texas had more errors than they did hits in that game. Yeah, it's a bad look, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the uh, 3-2 loss to uh, number 8 Arkansas. Uh, you got in, You talked a lot about the, uh, the, the strikeouts, yeah. which were a big issue. They end up with is it 34. Five all weekend. Yeah, it was. It was not a good. Total? It was not a good look because you look at you look at Friday. You, Texas had thirteen strikeouts on on uh, Sunday. 
they had 12, and on Saturday they had 10. So, yeah, 35, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it it's one mm. of those things, and where they were coming from was the other part of it. It was coming from the top of the lineup. Um, that was the frustrating part about what we were seeing, and, and I understand, like I said, it's, it's early in the season. There's a mm. lot of reasons to, to look at this team and say, all right, there's some things that need to change. But when you start looking at the strikeouts, and um, I can see it for younger players. I don't, I don't want to see it for the older players. I like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to see the leaders of my team, the top three hitters for Texas, Kennedy, uh, Dylan Campbell, and uh, Porter Brown. They each they, – well, not each, but they had eight strikeouts between them at the top of the lineup. That's unacceptable. Yeah, that's something that you're gonna go through a little slump. It's at the beginning of the year, and then you look at what happened the next day between those three again. You had four strikeouts. So those are things that you want to. You're the leaders of this team. You need to make sure that you come out there prepared, lead these young players, and show them the way. And that's not what happened on um, this weekend. Yeah, uh, got to lead by example. And uh, they, because they're such an inexperienced team, um, they're going to be over-reliant mm-hmm. on those guys who've been there and done that before. Uh, just until you know these guys can get some games under their belt, get some starts, get some yep. good reps. Uh, you made a good point in Harsh Knock Life that a lot of plays that were given up are plays that weren't made this past weekend. They'll be made um, you know, by the time you get to the middle of the season or by no the time doubt. you start a Big 12 play. It's just a lot of inexperience. I guess the question that I – do have though is that in a name image and likeness era which is a new era of all college sports and in a transfer portal era where we do have the free market has hit college sports and yes a form of free agency as well should a blue blood program like texas of the ilk of texas who should have advantages in the new landscape of college sports should they be this inexperienced no they should not. Okay. And, and and flat out, it's recruiting, period. It doesn't even have to be the, the transfer portal. The state of Texas has a ton of great players that we've missed out on. That's fair. Period. And as a person who lives in the state of Texas and knows the talent and played against a lot of talent and chose to go to the University of Texas because of that, I think we should have more Texas kids that are talented, not taking anything away from the ones that they went out and got, but this roster needs to be stronger with Texas tied players. Hmm. Because the one thing that I see, and, and I'm not disrespecting anybody when I say this, if you don't understand what, is to, what it's like to be in the state of Texas and the hatred and the, the, the things that go on between the universities when you go up against each other, you talk about it all the time. You see people still doing the, the the horns down all the time. If you don't understand what that means and how it pisses you off, you have no clue to it. But if you live in this state and you grew up around this kind of stuff, you get a feel for it. And that's something that you don't ever want to have to deal with. Because I know it's a sign for, you know, we sit here and say, well, they're still talking about us and they're not even playing us. No. They take pride in the fact of beating the University of Texas, mm-hmm. period. Yep. And if you don't understand that, you can't come to the university. That should be on the questionnaire. Do you understand what this means when you put on this uniform? There's, no, there's nothing easy about it, nothing. And if you don't go out there and compete hard every single time, I got a problem with that. 
I got a problem with that. I, I, I'm Look, I can get on a soapbox about this, but it's not my job to teach those kids that. Those kids need to know it when they step at this university. And that is the part that hurts. That is the part. And again, like I said, they should have beaten Arkansas the first night, even mm-hmm. though their pitcher, uh, uh, Hagen Smith, was dealing. He was dealing. He was tough to hit. I was like, man, I don't even know if I'd have been able to hit that dude the way he was throwing <laughs> that thing. But they lost 3-2. to two. Then you get a walk-off uh, against Missouri that yeah. you could have won that game. Mm-hmm. And then the only game that was actually bad was the Vanderbilt game, and that was because you had a bunch of young guys out there that couldn't make a play. So if you harness that, you might have beat Vanderbilt. You were still in everything. But if you uh, shorten up your, your, your swings and put the ball in play, maybe hit and run, maybe drag bun, maybe do some things when you're striking out to change your, your luck, do that. Yeah. But Matt, what we you. saw in the first weekend, I'm not going to say it's going to be something we're going to pay attention to or we're going to see the entire time, but it was disheartening because the pride of the University of Texas of being a Texas baseball player it means something in this state. It means something in the country. So when people play you, you got to be ready to take their best shot, regardless of who it is. As I said, tomorrow night, you think Texas A&M Commerce is not, I mean, Texas A&M Corpus Christi is not coming in here to beat you? Oh, yeah. They know you're wounded. They know. They saw what happened this weekend. They're coming to attack. So you best get ready. Yeah, I mean, Texas, you are a blue blood baseball program, so there is a special satisfaction in beating Texas. Yeah. As Brett Bielema said, borderline erotic. Yep. <laughs> uh, beating Texas. And yeah, especially a lot of teams want to do that when they see Texas is down and out. Not saying they're down and out, but right now, uh, Texas is definitely a young, inexperienced baseball team. Let's talk about the Texas basketball team because they're the opposite. <laughs> yep. They got a ton of experience, and hopefully uh, down the stretch here of Big 12 play, uh, we'll see that experience uh, really pay huge dividends for Texas basketball. They did get a big win. It was a win that they had to have. Uh, they could not afford to lose that game versus Oklahoma and keep their hopes of being a number one seed alive. They get the win in overtime, 85-83. And uh, it was really Sergio Barry Rice, guys, who was essentially the star. We've talked about him. He's sixth man of the year, potentially, in the Big 12. One of the best six men in the country. 24 points, that's a season high for him. 19 of those came in the second half in overtime for Sergio Barry Rice. Uh, he just continues to be the calm, steady hand for them down the stretch in clutch time when they need the most. Uh, and, man, he really came up big. Just 34 minutes, but he was so efficient. 8 of 13 from the field, 4 of 6 from three-point range, 4 or 5 from, uh, from the free-throw line. And really did take this game over right around the maybe the six minute mark because it I mean Oklahoma was in a position to really take control of this game, and it was actually three shots in the last six minutes of regulation. Uh, Rice hit that three pointer with five eighteen left that tied it at sixty seven, um, and then the uh, next possession he hit the three pointer another three pointer to give Texas the lead their first lead for I think in over like eight minutes or something like that, and then with like three and a half minutes left he nailed the fadeaway uh, with the shot clock running down to make it 72-68 that essentially gave Texas enough of a juice to push them to overtime they're able to find a way to win the game it was an ugly game you gotta find a way to win ugly uh, but they found a way to win it That's, that was the key I mean it seemed like this game was the most evenly matched game when I say that you go to halftime score tied you end the game score tied you end up winning the game by two points, still right there 
everybody doing the same thing. So you're right when you start talking about the the expectations of this team with Serge Jabari Rice coming off the bench, bench uh, Christian Bishop, him coming in. And, Patrick, you were mentioning Timmy Allen. Um, he still played 40 minutes, but he had nine rebounds in this game. So he led the team in actual rebounds. And that's one of the things, too, that Texas was out-rebounded in this, but they also should have been able to box out a little bit better. And the glaring problem, and we've talked about this and you brought this up, too, the lack of presence in the, in the paint is going to be something as they continue down this road. And again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm not trying to bash the team because they are one of the top-ranked teams. They are uh, in consideration for uh, – Rodney's in consideration for National Coach of the Year. There's so many things to be positive about. But you trying to picture yourself in the Final Four and doing all these other things – you have to be able to get out there and do things differently, and they have to find a presence on the inside. I know it's well beyond that because you don't, you can't go out and pick nobody mm-hmm. up in free agency right now. Yeah, but you still have to work on. Let's be better at boxing out. You need to come into the game with a game plan against certain teams to work harder on the rebounding. Yeah, I mean, and both Texas and Oklahoma are teams that don't really try to rebound as much as some others. Other teams will send two or three guys. Texas tries to get back in transition to prevent uh, transition baskets against them. I get that, and that's fine. There was a point in the game where you had guys like Godwin come in for Oklahoma, and you had some younger guys in for Oklahoma that were basically just going, hey, there's no one back here. They're leaving like Marcus Carr to get a rebound. Right. So all we have to do is stay back, and we will get every offensive rebound because they're leaving mm-hmm. a guard back to do it. They're not like Their centers are even running back on offense, and you can't do that. Because you're just giving up possessions and you're just giving up points at that. And they did that a few t- too many times in this Oklahoma game. And it's just it's just a little bit of, hey, man, it, I get you want to get back and I get you're trying to get back and you think the rebound's safe. Make sure it is. Right. There was a couple times where they would do a quick press and the, our second guard would already be up the court and not looking. Mm-hmm. You're like, just yeah. you have to be present in these games because people are trying to get one up on you and you just kind of seem like you keep being out of it. And so it's just a lot of little errors of why when I'm sitting on the court, you can see these little errors adding up. You're going, there's no reason we should be in this game like we are because if just a few little things change, we're up by 10 points. Yeah. But you just keep allowing balls to bounce off the tip of your fingers and it goes for two points the other way. And you just keep allowing to not rebound the ball because you you literally left Tyrese Hunter to rebound a ball. <laughs> and that's the only guy you left down there. And right. four guys are already down, like going down the court. Those types of things you just have to clean up because you're going to start playing some better teams that are watching all this game film. And once you make that mistake once and a team starts picking on it, every other team knows it now. And yeah. they go, oh, well, let's do that until they fix that. And then we can try and really stick guys back to rebound. And then the moment they stick guys back to rebound, we'll go and try and do transition. I think Rodney does a good job of in-game adjustments, which you have to do in these. In this game, for whatever reason, it just it seemed like they kept thinking it'll just fix itself and that eventually guys will start moving faster without the ball and start moving faster when they get out of doubles, and they just never did. Right. And that's where a texter asked about Dylan Mitchell, how you use him better. They've been trying. They've been trying to get him the ball a bit more. Uh, I think you might need to pull him a little bit further away from the basket, and I know he's not a big shooter, but – I think if you give him a little bit more space to try and maneuver when he's trying to work the offense, mm. it might help him because he's playing uh, face to the basket from about 10 feet. And every time he catches it, he has a defender right on him. 
and it basically makes him not know where to go. He's usually on the baseline right. when he's getting these passes, okay. and so he can't go right, and he's sorry, he can't go left, and he's just kind of looking. So I think you just kind of need to change up where you're giving him the ball. I know that's where you want him to learn how to do it, but until he has that confidence, you're just trying to get him a little bit of confidence before we get into play. And then if you're talking about you want to leave one guy back for a rebound, Dylan Mitchell's my guy. He right. can jump out of the gym. He's got good. He's got good wingspan and everything, and he was a really, really important rebounder for us early. But then they were like, he's fast enough that we want him to be on transition defense, that he's one of the few guys that we think can get back and block a shot, but he hasn't really done it much. Right. Dylan DeSue's better at that because Dylan DeSue is the type of guy who will say, I'll fling my body into the fourth row of this crowd <laughs> and get up and be out for the next 10 minutes. But that's just how he's built. Junkie and I love right it. Out, man. But Remember, that's, he he, that's how Dylan DeSue. Player. Yeah, that's how Dylan DeSue's built. And he did it in that game where he did it and, and mm-hmm. hurt himself going up and came back in and played good minutes later. So I think if you're looking that way, I, I use Dylan Mitchell trying to get make sure we have solid rebounding. And I try and give him looks in different places when he's catching the ball, whether it's the top of the key at the free throw line, whether he's a little bit further out to give him a little bit more space so they're not right on top of him, but something like that to try and get a different look because – I know you're really running up against it now. That you, the time where you needed these young guys to feel better in this offense, you're kind of running out of that space, and you need your your big names to step up. But if they're going to keep doubling Marcus Carr, other people need to step up. And if Dylan Mitchell can be one of those, he can get that confidence up in these next few games before you get to the Big Twelve tournament. That's a huge step forward going forward. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, yeah, I, and do do we think there's anything that can be done? to spark Tyrese Hunter's game down the stretch? Or are we just, he's contributing what he can and we're just hoping, praying that the tournament, it kind of brings him to life? Or are we we just, at this point, throwing our hands up and saying there's nothing that can be done? Uh, I mean, at this point, I think he's he's just, well, I think he's just a little bit underwater with so many things he's tried to learn during this offseason that he didn't ever really catch up of where he's supposed to be, movement of the offense and where he's supposed to be. And when the offense and defense kind of changed a little bit when Chris Beard left and it went to Rodney Terry, I don't think he ever fully caught on to the transition. That's fair. And it seems like more and more he's just getting caught where he's not in the right spot. And every time that happens, you just knock away on that confidence and a shooter needs confidence. And so I don't know how you build that confidence back up in him, but it's nothing you really on the court so much. I mean, the main thing you do is drive him to the basket, but he's like six foot at best. So you don't necessarily want him going in there trying to get fouls. If he doesn't, he's going to get blocked a lot, and that's less confidence and less confidence. Yeah, I think in practice and other stuff like that, you just need to build him back up a little bit and try and get his confidence where he can walk on the court and feel like he felt like he when he was at Iowa State and dominating everybody. He just doesn't have that look in his eye right now. So you're saying easy buckets. We need to get him. Somehow. We need to get him easy buckets. We just need to tell him how good he. Like show him old clips. Like, we heard the Mike McDaniel thing with Tua, mm. where Mike McDaniel put together mm. all the highlight clips. Yeah. And was like, you're not doing everything bad. Get Fireball to put that clip together for, for Tyrese Hunter and go, look, I know we're yelling at you for these eight plays a game. Here's the 35. You played great defense. Here's where you took the right shot. Didn't go, but you took the right shot. Like, put that together. Do something to try and build up his confidence because a shooter needs confidence, and it doesn't look like he has it right now. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's crazy how – body language wise just watching a player because you've seen so much from Patrick you get an up close view of these guys you can tell when a player is not playing with confidence it's 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 so easy to tell if you watch enough of that team or those players like uh guys not playing with much confidence it's and it is it's something that 
Um, you really can't really quantify it, but it can be debilitating to a game. Yeah, when your eyes get big. And, and everybody knows when your eyes get big. Yeah, Like everyone on both teams, both, every coach knows that when your eyes get big, when someone's talking to you like that, and when your teammates are trying to – and your eyes get big, like, oh, I didn't know where I was supposed to be, or I did that. It's That's not confidence because confidence is like, oh, yeah, that's never happening again. Confidence, don't worry, I'm making it up on this next play. The, the other is – I better hope it better. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The fear it might happen again yeah. instead and the fear of the of, confidence my, that it won't happen again. Yeah, I'm going to lose my playing time. <laughs> yeah. If I already transferred once, what am I, you know, like that is not mm-hmm. what you want in your shooter. Do you want your shooter is, oh, it don't matter. Get in my face. Yeah. yeah. You want what Jalen, when Jalen Brown last night was telling t- Jason Tatum he was too small. Yeah. That is what I want. <laughs> I want you telling a six foot eight player he's too small. He needs some of that Marcus Carr confidence. Oh my yes. gosh. Like he's a but, rough. but that's because Marcus Carr is a what a fourth, fifth year senior. Yeah, but he does. He has that kind of un- it's unshakable confidence. And he didn't when he first he didn't last year. No, you're right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like I get you have to do it. I don't know wh- how you do that though. But if you can get him to get some confidence back, then then that hope for the three pointer comes back a little bit more. That's where the defensive play steps up more. That's where at least just being a threat enough to pass a ball and cut and have the the confidence to dribble in and draw a defense because he's not even really doing that anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. No, I agree with it. Uh, no question. Uh, Texas did find a way to get the win. They have a really tough stretch. I say that, but it's just a Big 12. It's the Big it. 12. <laughs> it's a really tough stretch. It's just Big 12 football. They got a, a couple of games, uh, four games actually, against Iowa State. Then they got at Baylor, at TCU, um, to consecutive road games, and then they got Kansas to close out the season. So if they want the number one seed, it's within their grasp, and it, it lays out perfectly for them. Um, I saw the NCAA tweeted out their number one seeds, and they have right now, obviously, just uh, projecting, as Craigway says, the bracketological prognostications. <laughs> uh, one seed to Bama, U of H, Purdue, and Kansas. Two seeds, Texas, Arizona, Baylor, UCLA. So you're right there. Mm. Right there. Love it. Um, you can get a lot of Big 12 love. So John Rothstein, I saw him tweet out. He said um, in their, I guess they do a mock tournament or whatever, they had five Big 12 tournaments in their top 12 seeds. And he said if TCU had a healthy uh, miles that they might end up with six in the top 16 potentially. Well, he's back healthy now, yeah, he so some things will change now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, hopefully. Starting tonight, he, well, he's played this past weekend, but they play Kansas tonight. Yeah. On Big Monday. Yeah, he'll be back for Texas. That's for yep. damn sure. Oh. Um, all right. Yeah, so a good discussion about Texas basketball there. Uh, good discussion about Texas baseball. I'll just say a little bit uh, more depressing. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to depress you. Let's no, give us some time. No, 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 it's all right. We'll have plenty of wins to talk about when That's it comes right. to Texas baseball. If not, we are getting a panic button yep. for the show. We're going to give it to, to my man, Harge. And when you, when you need to panic, he will hit the panic button for you. So until then... Hearts knows more hardball than anybody I know. So he is he says we're far from the panic button. Right. But we are purchasing one. We are definitely purchasing one. Just in I think case. I'm gonna go to, hey Patrick, <laughs> why don't you go to Home Depot and pick it up? <laughs> hey. <laughs> a lot of single ladies there at Home Depot, baby. And they won't be hitting the panic button. Nah, you know, right. you know how creepy that is to tell a girl, mm-hmm. what are you shopping for? A panic button? <laughs> I got a panic room. Uh, and I need a panic button. I got a panic button. Where are you putting it? Just out of reach in the hole. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> yeah, she runs for her life. Uh, all right, we come back. We got uh, Rod to wrap the day. Uh, third down. We'll talk about third down. We're doing deep dives. So we'll talk about third down and personnel and what Sark could have done better to help his team out on third down. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real! My God! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! What's oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Time for Rod's Round of the Day. I am getting ready for spring football. We know it's baseball season. It is basketball season, but it'll pretty soon it'll be spring football season. <laughs> so I'm doing some deep dive research, uh, going back through all of my notes and um, actually trying to really just trying to extrapolate different concepts and um, different ideas um, that, could have helped the Longhorns or probably things that ended up trends and patterns that ended up hurting the Longhorns last season. So I, I went and started looking at third down this weekend. Um, third down as it relates to uh, personnel groupings, personnel packages that were used on third down. And I just wanted to go find out, you know, conversion rates of third down for uh, Texas in certain personnel groupings. And I was a little, I was a little surprised. So basically um, when I started looking at third downs, I went and looked at 11 personnel because Sark basically only plays. Now, he does mix. He mixes up last year in personnel groupings. But for the most part, Sark is playing 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, uh, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. And he's playing, um, you know, his 21 or 20 personnel, two backs, one tight end, two backs, zero uh, tight ends, two backs. Um, and this year, he even broke out the 6-0 line package, which we call like the Big 12 package on the show. So he is starting to vary things a little bit. He's starting to see a little bit more diversity when it comes to his personnel groupings. And hopefully, I think that continues. I, honestly, the truth is, I want to see Sark with more personnel variety. I think it's really good for him. I think it's really good for the offense. I think it can end up sparking his creativity on offense. And oftentimes, I, I've looked at it, and he's actually more explosive, more efficient uh, as a play caller, his offenses are, I should say, when he is in different personnel groupings. Now, this year, Texas' third down percentage was 38.7% conversion rate uh, for the entire season. So that's kind of your barometer. That's kind of the standard. So I looked at 11 personnel, which he loves, by the way. Sark uses 11 personnel more than any other personnel grouping. around Over 41% of the time, he's in 11 personnel. 34% conversion rate on third downs. So below your season average when you're just looking at third down conversions. And by the way, there are more third down conversions out of 11 personnel than any other group. So when Sark is, on, is getting to a third down, he's going to go one back, one tight ends. Mm-hmm. I would say 75% of the time he's going 11 personnel on third down. Third and short, third and long. 
third and medium. I mean, I got all kinds here in my notes. Mostly third and medium and third and long. Third and short, every now and then he would change that up, and then he would go with 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, more of a power look. Uh, or he'd go with his 21 personnel, which you guys know I've been advocating for more two-back <laughs> sets for the last five years, even when Tom Herman was on the 40 acres. Um, but I digress. He'd go to more power packages when he did have – third and short or short yard situations. So I looked at 12 personnel, which he loves, true 12, not the 6-0 line package 12 personnel. Just a true 12 personnel, third downs, and found that Texas had a 50% conversion rate. 12 personnel, true 12 personnel. Just hmm. your uh, JT Sanders out there, and I believe Helm was probably your other tight end they used the most uh, last season. They tried to use Billingsley early on, and that didn't work out. And Billingsley would have worked out, honestly, this offense could have been transformed into a much more uh, potent offense out of one back, two tight ends. There's a, there's a, honestly, you could argue if Jaleel Billingsley had worked out, they probably would have played a ton more 12 personnel. Because remember, they couldn't find a third wide receiver the, the whole entire year. What, what I think hurt them, honestly, in 11 personnel, why the conversion rate drops precipitously for them, in uh, 11 personnel as opposed to the other personnel packages and even compared to their standard third down conversion rate during the regular season, you didn't have a third wide receiver. You had X-Man. You had Jay Witt. That was it. So if you're in third and medium or third and long, most of the time you're going to a wide receiver. I think you were at a disadvantage almost when you had a third wide receiver out there running routes when chances are they couldn't beat man-to-man. They weren't going to get open and create any separation. Now, later on, we found out JT Sanders became more of that third option, but it should have been X-Man, Jay Witt, JT Sanders, and another threat at wide receiver. That would have helped your passing game tremendously, but it made you a lot easier to defend on third down out of 11 personnel, which is your most frequent personnel package used on third down, but it made you a lot easier to defend because you didn't have that third wide receiver. That shouldn't be the case this year. X-Man, Jay Witt, Isaiah Nayor coming back. You brought in A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. You got Jonte Cook coming in. So you should have at least three viable wide receivers to make your 11 personnel grouping a more effective, potent one on third down this year. So like I said, true 12 personnel. 50% 50% conversion rate. That's pretty good. Now, like I said, more of those are short, third and shorts, as opposed to third and long, third and medium, because he likes to go power package when it's a, a you know, short yardage situation. So I went and looked at multi-back sets. You guys know I love my multi-back sets. All right, whether it be 20 personnel, 21 personnel. Even this year he was using 20, sometimes it was 30 personnel. He put three backs out there, 31 personnel, got really creative. He had, he had the deepest running back room in the country. Why not get wild and crazy with it? <laughs> uh, 50% conversion rate on third downs for your multi-back sets. Except fewer, fewer attempts, fewer instances where you actually use that personnel on third downs. But you converting half of your third downs in true 12 personnel and in your multi-back sets, uh, and you had 34% when you go to 11 personnel. I went and looked at 6-0 line package and figured, all right, let's look at the 6-0 line package, see if it tracks. It does. I mean, you're over 70% conversion rate in your third downs when you're 6-0 line package. So I think the, the, the one thing I think hurts your 11 personnel is that you didn't have a true thir- third wide receiver. When you went 12 personnel, That's essentially you used – Huh? That's the biggest. That's the biggest, right? Yeah. And when you was 12, I think what happened there in 12, oftentimes J.T. Sanders was out on the route and Gunnar Helm was just there as a yeah, blocker. Right. So No threat at all. Exactly. So essentially it was your 6-0 line package. Right. 
when you brought in 6-0 linemen, he just stayed there and blocked. And you had on the route, it was JT Sanders, X-Man, and Jay Witt, or X-Man in the back, I'm sorry, or Bijan in the backfield, or Rojo in the backfield. And that works to have fewer guys out on routes. They may have more defenders in pass coverage, but you got more time to throw because you got an extra lineman in for mm-hmm. pass protection or an extra tight end in for pass protection. So honestly, what, what I'm basically saying is what it showed me a little bit of is that, that, that even though you had an extra player or extra receiving threat out on a route in 11 personnel, essentially you did better with that guy in as a blocker to give your quarterback more time to convert thir- in third-down situations rather than have that guy out on the route. Yeah, Gunnar Helm had five receptions. Yeah, exactly. He was more effective <laughs> yeah. as a blocker to give yep. more time. And I, think the same, and I think you could argue the same thing. So I, I bet if I went back and looked at those multi-back sets ones, you had a lot of times the multi-back set, one of those, multi, one of those backs is standing in the block. Yep. Whether it be a Rojo or whether that be a Bijan or a Keelan. So you really only had three viable receiving threats. You had X-Man, you had Jay Witt underutilized, as Harge always said, totally agree. And uh, you had uh, J.T. Sanders. Yep. And this year, I think it'll help your third down situational football to have more receiving, more viable, better viable receiving threats downfield. And, and so the truth is, I think what I what conclusion I came to just kind of looking at all this information is that Sark needs to be more diverse in his personnel groupings, more variety. I know yep. you love your 11 personnel, and that's great. But the truth is, if I just looked at, let's go look at yards per play. All right. You had higher yards per play in 12 personnel and in multi-back sets. Hell, in multi-back sets, you were 7 yards per play. 12 personnel, you were over 7 yards per play. As an offense, you were over 6 yards per play. As an offense, you were under 6 yards per play in 11 personnel, though. So yep. as an offense, you're at 6.4 yards per play, but you're under that when you run 11 personnel. You're under 6 yards per play, but you're over 7 yards per play when you run a 12 personnel. Hey, you're over 8 yards per play when you run out of 21 personnel. Somebody kept trying to tell you she ran 21 personnel. Who was that saying they should run more 21 personnel? I think it was me. <laughs> for the last five years, they finally did it. And look, oh, eight yards away. Good for you. Thank Some dude God. that played football at the university right? that does a Come deep on, dive people. all the time. Uh, go look at yards per rush. As a team, you're yards per rush. You're at 5.3 yards per rush. Um, at 12 personnel, that's at six. That's really good. You're also really good at yards per rush out of 11 personnel. So I'm not saying don't run that. You're actually over six yards per rush. I have 11 personnel too. Really, really good. But I just like the di- I like diversity and variety in your personnel groupings because you have the talent to do it. Your explosive play rate, plays of at least 15 yards in the passing game, 10 yards in the running game, uh, 14% explosive play rate in 11 personnel. You're you're at twenty percent, nearly twenty percent at twelve personnel. You're, you're over twenty three percent out of twenty one personnel. Um, your explosive play rate as an off- offense overall was around sixteen percent, but you're below that eleven personnel. So you're, I'm just looking at the trends, and it shows that a lot of your 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 efficiency metrics and analytics drop in eleven personnel as opposed to twelve personnel yards hmm. per attempt. In passing, 7.7 as a team, you drop below that in 11 personnel. You're over 9 yards per attempt out of 12 personnel. You're, mm. over, you're over 11 yards per attempt out of 21, 10 yards per attempt out of you know, multi-back sets, and yet in the bowl game, not one multi-back set. Not one 21 or 20 <laughs> personnel. Your most explosive and most efficient personnel package all year long, and you didn't even see it in the bowl game. Mm. Not a mm. sniff mm. of it. So, 
anyway, uh, we'll be doing more deep dives for uh, before the spring. But there's go a little deep dive on third down uh, percentages, conversion rates as it relates to personnel groupings for my man Sark. All that and more. When we come back. We'll get into a little off the record. Matter of fact, we're talking about the XFL when we come back. Did what? you watch or did you pass? All that and more right here on Bottom Line, one four nine horn. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, last off the record, we talked about the Fast and Furious street racers that had come to Austin and uh, to our fine community and blocked off several intersections. Four different intersections they hit at the same time in a very organized effort here in the ATX um, and really uh, strained our, uh, our police. APD here in Austin. To say the least. Uh, so uh, they're still looking and investigating that incident. CB says, he's up in there, he's up in Washington. He says, they're talking about the street racing in Austin on the news up here. <laughs> it's big national news, yeah. man. Uh, so catch those uh, those jabronis. All right. Um, did you guys watch the XFL at all? I did not get the chance to see it because I, obviously I was working this weekend. Yeah, he was working. And... I did. I was looking at some of the fans, though, because as I was walking back from my hotel, the fans were leaving Choctaw Stadium right across the street from Globe Life. And they looked like they was having a good time. Looked like they had. They really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. No, I think, it, it, well, definitely in San Antonio, they're having a good time oh, until they lost the game. But they were having a good time mm-hmm. down there. And The Rock announced that they are going to be the site uh, San Antonio will be the site of the championship game. Nice. I think that's because they've been so faithful. I mean, even the first XFL. Yeah, San first Antonio is, is desperate for a football team. So, so they, they're yeah. the only place that supports it. They, they do. They come they out, really, man. really want a football team. Yeah. So, yeah, they support it. But you knew this was going to – you know that's he's going hard on it because he named it the Brahmas. And he was oh, the, Brahma the Brahma Bowl. Bowl. That's right. Rogers right. and Brahma Bowl. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. And didn't he say one, one of his first like Royal Rumbles or something like that was, was down there? Yeah, the I would assume there? that. Yeah, because the Royal Rumble has been there a number of times. He said one of his first Royal Rumbles was down there. So he actually had a lot of nice things to say about San Antonio, as everyone should, except for Charles Barkley. <laughs> uh, Charles Barkley was clowning Utah, though, oh, too. So don't dude, take that it personal. Was, that, what they were doing out, and they're like, man, <laughs> you guys have been such good hosts. I was like, they got a gun to your head or something? Yeah. And then as soon as they cut away from being on live mics, he's like, can't get a drink around here. Nothing to do. I've never had so much room service in my life. Yeah, I, I wondered how the community of Utah was going to handle all-star weekend though i mean it right. is one of the biggest party weekends uh for for the sports culture but definitely for the black culture too for the hip-hop culture right uh utah and hip-hop it's culture don't necessarily get a spot yeah <laughs> necessarily that's, that doesn't really go well together no but uh i was wondering about that anyway uh getting back to the xfl so how about this guys i love this story um, I'm sad for the San Antonio Brahmas, but I like this story because it shows you why the XFL, at least some of the ideas in the XFL, may be intriguing to sports fans, football fans particularly. So the San Antonio Brahmas led the St. Louis Battlehawks 15-3 to with just 125 remaining in the fourth quarter. That's it. Which 125, usually game over, done deal, especially when you're up 15-3. to But St. Louis scored a touchdown. And then got a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. Remember, you can get a one-point conversion from the two. You can get a two-point conversion from the five or a three-point conversion from the 10. So they made it 15 to 12. That's, that's when they used the onside kick alternative, uh, which is a fourth and 15 option on your own 25, which they converted into a first down. 
to keep the ball. And then St. Louis uh, converted with A.J. McCarron, actually. He hit Austin Pro for the first down. Then the Battlehawks marched down the field for a touchdown, game-winning touchdown, with McCarron hitting Pro once again. And they won the game 18-15. to <laughs> And the XFL got to highlight two of its uh, rule alternatives or changes that set it apart from the NFL that may be a little bit more exciting to the everyday football fan. Do you think the NFL decides to uh, implement any of this? No, the, remember the NFL does have mm-hmm. a partnership with the XFL now. It is an innovation technology partnership. Right. So these are the ideas that the NFL wants the XFL to deploy and test out and troubleshoot. And then the NFL wants the data on the ideas, how they did, how people, what, what impressions they got on social media. Right. People like them, they dislike them. And the NFL, I'm not saying they're going to implement them, but they will at least consider the data. They are, they've admitted that. They're going to consider some of these changes. I think the best one is the kickoff. Right. The best one is the kickoff where neither the returner, nobody moves, by the way. Nobody moves mm-hmm. until the returner either catches the ball or the ball's been on the ground for three seconds. Um, so only the returner and the kicker can move. And then once the ball is caught or either been on the ball for three seconds, then the other 10 players who are only five yards across from one another, right. then they can actually move. So you have no you know, collisions, no those car crashes, and you still. You know, they still uh, increase the amount of returns. And by the way, that's a dead play in the NFL now. Right. But it's not a dead play in the XFL. Yeah, because there are no returns when you start looking oh, at that. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. That might be a, that might be a good look right there. I, I also gave him, uh, I saw some highlights of the replays. The replay system is better than the NFL's as well. Yeah, Dean Blandino does it, yes, right? Yes, where he was like, it's just in a room, and it just cuts to him, and he's like, right, I just want to see that again. I right, we see that. All right, he's got a possession and bounce. All right, roll it through. We're good. Catch. More transparency. Yeah, transparency. Yeah. But it was also yeah. super quick because it was just a dude in a room, and he was like, I know I'm on TV. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. So it's like, let's just go through it. Let's make the call real quick. Let's make this better for viewership so we can break it down. If, and the longer we give TV to break it down – the more everyone's going to hate our call no matter what it is. True that. So if we just cut to me saying what it is, then maybe the fans won't be so angry right. by this call because they waited five minutes for me to tell them they were wrong. That's, I know. I'm with you. I love the I, – I, I didn't, I didn't uh, see that, but I saw it on social media, and I like that idea too, more transparency. Honestly, the NFL has a few wasted plays they're trying to get rid of. The kickoff is considered a race, a wasted play. Um, I think the XFL's got an answer for that. The extra point, they've been, they've been decentivizing the extra point for some time, moved it back to the 33 from the 20. The XFL's got an answer for your extra point, which is a wasted play. And one of your issues has been the officiating or at least their review of some of those plays. They also have a golden challenge, which means you can challenge any play, any, any call, any time of the game. Right. Doesn't matter what it is. It's called the Golden, Golden Challenge. Challenge. Yeah. And I love that. Bill Belichick actually had that idea about 10 years ago for the NFL, and they never wanted to implement it. So, you know, I, I, like, I like some of the things the, the XFL is implementing. I think the NFL should at least be paying attention. And NFL has long stolen, or as CDC says, rip off and duplicate <laughs> ideas like the Sky Cam, uh, miking up players, uh, and playing that audio during the games. Hell, even the two point conversion is something the NFL. Did ripped, I hear that every off. player is miked up in the XFL too? Uh, it might be. I, I don't know. It might okay. be. I know that they've done a lot to try to bring more access yeah. to, for the for the fans. So right, XFL, keep doing what you're doing. I mean. I, 
I don't know if they'll ever be able to compete with the NFL. That's, but I don't think that's their goal anymore. They're just trying to survive, and maybe they can do that with the Rock. Yeah. All right, we'll come back. We'll get into the NCAA looking into changing the rules to shorten the game. This is a problem for every sport in every league now. And everybody's got to look into it. Even college football, one of the most popular sports, trying to shorten the game. All that and more when we return right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 The Horn.